This is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters. And I'm Marcus Harvey. America places a high premium on business and business development. But is that opportunity available in equal measure to all? What challenges do people face when trying to develop a business? And what programs exist to help them overcome those challenges? We'll get some answers to those questions on today's show. Stay tuned, and Marcus and I will be back in a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvey Show. I'm Darren Waters, back here in the studio again. Glad to have you all join us in the audience. Marcus, it's good to be here with you as always. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty well. We're back for yet another round. We are, and we're talking about business development. We had a conversation not too long ago, but uh, a few weeks ago with Jane Hatley with mm-hmm. uh, Self-Help Credit Union, and we talked a lot uh, in that show about business development, but we, we were specifically looking at issues of access to capital. How do people get access to capital? This has been a challenge for, for some communities. Yes, especially the African-American community. And I, I, you know, I think about, for example, this country's history of really systematically preventing and discouraging um, African-American communities from creating wealth. I think about, for example, the Federal Housing mm-hmm. Administration, early mm-hmm. 1930s, which uh, was intended to encourage American citizens to, to purchase homes. But of that, I think it was um, over $100 billion that was allocated to the FHA. Right. 2% of this of these federal funds ended up going to African-Americans right. in order to, to encourage home ownership, which, which in this country is one of the major avenues to wealth acquisition. So just thinking about that that history right. of, of really I, I would say wealth suppression and um, how policies have been community. yeah Absolutely. and how policies have been implemented are not implemented there and this is, this remains a, a real challenge in our <coughs> communities and throughout the country even to this day oh, yeah. if we're thinking about business development and opportunities mm-hmm. that exist out there for people to develop their own businesses I, I'm reminded of a quote, and, and this is somewhat of a, a controversial quote, and, I, you know, I like to throw controversial things out to you to get your response to them. But remember, you and I have talked a lot about Booker T. Washington and the differences between Washington and a W.E.B. Du Bois. But Washington was very driven and focused on the issue of business development. He talked a lot about that economic development. But there's a quote of his that I, I'd want to get you to respond to. Um, he said once, and, and people will quote this. Uh, this particular quote a lot. You'll hear people talk about this a lot where he said the individual that can do something that the world wants done will in the end make his way regardless of race. Mm. What do you think about that quote? Wow. Well, it's a very Washingtonian quote. Um, I wonder I wonder how Booker T would have responded to the FHA discriminatory practices, you know, uh, several years l- after his death. But um, I, I just find it a curious statement, especially given that um, as historians such as yourself know, um, American wealth, mm-hmm. um, America's national wealth, uh, which is, of course, much, much celebrated, much vaunted, um, was made possible mm-hmm. um, precisely because of a longstanding tradition of unpaid labor, uncompensated labor, uh, unremunerated labor in the form of American chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Right. So if that becomes the, the genesis for the possibility of American wealth. How is what Washington proposing possible? Right. Because what we also know is that 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 institution um, uh, of unpaid labor 
um, was thoroughly racialized. In other words, it was it was buttressed. It was supported by um, a very virulent ideology or a racist ideology, mm-hmm. um, which which needed racist mythologies in order to function. So, um, you know, again, this is a very Washingtonian uh, quote. I think it's it's very idealistic, and I think it 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 is problematically optimistic mm-hmm. about. Um, the possibilities for wealth acquisition, right? Especially on the part of African Americans, right? It's yeah. it is just in many ways a, a, a an attempt to really deny the issue of race so. in this. And we talk about barriers, the barriers to getting to access to capital. Some of the, we, we can go through a, a list the number oh, of yeah. barriers that exist, but. But right prominently in all of this is the issue of race, which mm-hmm. is one of the conversations that we seem to have so much trouble yeah. in our society dealing yeah. with. And also, you know, I know this is coming before, but I'll just say it again quickly. Um, I, I think about the connection in this country between uh, wealth and what is meant by freedom or liberty. I think about Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. who who was of the opinion that liberty was not for all. Uh, it was for those who were landed. Right. That would say they, 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 they had acquired the wealth that came with land ownership and they had, they, they had access to education. Mm-hmm. So you had to be landed and you had to and be, be educated, educated in order to be eligible for American liberty, right. for American freedom. to participate. So I don't know that we can we can really separate um, what wealth means in this country from the origins of the of the American idea of right. liberty or right. freedom. Yeah. So, Marcus, it's a good way to end this segment. And, and Marcus and I are look forward looking forward to exploring these in deeper with our guest. And we'll be back in just a moment. Again, this is the Waters and Harvest Show coming to you from Blue Ridge Public Radio here in Asheville, North Carolina. Marcus and I are glad to have you all join us, and we're glad to be joined in the studio by our guest, uh, Miss Kimberly Hunter. And our guest today is a writer, a speaker, consultant, and business owner uh, dedicated to developing the next generation of entrepreneurs. So, Kimberly, we're glad and honored to have you here in the studio. Yes, welcome, welcome Kimberly. Yeah, I'm glad yeah. to be here. Couldn't wait. Okay, <laughs> well, great. It's good to have you here. And I'm sure that many people here in our local community know who you are because you're so active here in the community. It's been a pleasure for me to get to know you and to work with you on a number of different projects. But here's where I'd like to start in this conversation as we think about business, business development, opportunities that exist out there for people to actually participate in the American economic uh, economic system. So can we just begin by having you address why it is important for us to talk about business development? Well, there's so many reasons, and you know, it's some of it's personally tied to my individual story. You know, I moved here almost 16 years ago, and I would not still live here if it weren't for the fact that I opened a business within three weeks of moving here. I did not see economic opportunity as a black woman when I, I mean, I had never lived in the South. I was from California. My parents had always said, hey, if you go to the South, it's going to be a little bit different. (laughs) And so I said, okay, I got here and I said, you're right. So what am I going to do? How am I going to earn money? Mm -hmm. Well, what I realized over time, because I was in the labor force like many other people, people. I worked for a public holding corporation um, as an executive. However, when I moved here, I thought no one wants to pay me what I can do. They want me to make 12 to $15 an hour. And so I decided if I'm going to earn that little, I'm going to do it for myself and I'm going to make more so I can hire more people that are like me. So 
and to answer your question, business ownership from my personal perspective, and then I'll give the macro perspective, um, was the gateway, an open door to building relationships, Mm -hmm. to establishing models that were built together. So I ran my business, even though it was a sole proprietorship, my first company, um, I ran it cooperatively. (coughs) And so everyone I hired that was an employee, we made collective decisions about which clients we take, why, maybe it didn't fit into people's lifestyle to have that much workload, but Mm -hmm. we did the business model, the pricing structure together so that it was really, we all were on the same page of what we needed to accomplish individually to not just build wealth, Mm -hmm, but retain mm -hmm. wealth for our families. Mm -hmm. And so in the macro picture, business ownership is critical because when you research, I don't know if either of you have, but I spent a couple of years researching this as a nerd, um, (laughs) the number of businesses in our country that are over 100 years, up to 400 years in existence, Mm -hmm. they all you know, if you look at the trickle effects of them staying in business and mm-hmm. how many people they've employed, lead to more policy change, more home ownership, more community development, because they're built on a family banking system. Mm-hmm. Once you start a business for yourself and with other people around you that are like you, capital shifts in a way that becomes generational. And if you can think three generations out when you're building something today in terms of how many assets you need to develop over a period of time for how many people, you can guarantee wealth for a minimum of three generations. Mm-hmm. You Something, you know, and I, I will admit I'm a novice at so much of this, mm-hmm. um, and it's great to have your expertise here, but something that you just said, um, thinking three generations out, mm-hmm. I, you know, I find that that in some communities um, th- there is a that's a challenge. Mm-hmm. People don't seem to think that far ahead. Do you see that as a challenge as well? And if so, how do we correct that? Kimberly? Yeah, so I think it is and I think it isn't. I think we do, like as a black woman, I'll say I, in my family, we do it similarly and differently, right? As a black person, I see my family, we are doing three generations. For example, I take care of one generation older than me in some ways financially and I take care of one gener- two generations younger than me so that's four generations of finances being flown back and forth mm-hmm. between us right with the idea that when I start my next company my the next generation down will work will work together in it so in many African American homes we are transferring wealth back and forth to each other as, as in addition to Latinx and also Asian homes mm-hmm. But we're doing it in a like a coexisting like what has to happen right now, mm-hmm. as opposed to spreading out what we're already doing in um, like just looking a little bit further ahead, you know. Right, um, right. I can tell you since I was 19 years old, it has not not cross my mind not to take finances and invest them back a generation and forward a generation or two. And so business ownership has been the only one of the only ways I've had good jobs in my life, but it's been the highest way that I've been able to. um, And I see other entrepreneurs. I've counseled probably over a thousand businesses um, in the last 12 years that I've consulted I've consulted with and many of them have gotten venture capital funds and angel investment funds and collected their pennies together as as neighbors to start and retain businesses and a lot of who stays in business has to do with this idea of thinking about the now 
understanding the struggles of now, how to plan for now, save for now, while also being super sneaky (laughs) 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 and investing in very cool ways for tomorrow. And it's really those investment vehicles that businesses have to offer that a lot of people are unaware of that we're not accessing. That is where the sticking point is, because currently, whether you agree or disagree with the way our, our nation is set up for capital, you know, being a capitalist country. I have a lot of things I want to say about that, but not today. Um, it is a cycle, perpetual cycles, a hamster wheel that if you're not understanding the game in what's happening, you're missing all kinds of wealth that's tied to taxes, that's tied to policy, mm-hmm. that's tied to planning and zoning, that's tied to all these things, that's also tied to commercial real estate, which is tied to businesses. Racist all day long. And that is a known fact in the industry, but not to the general public. So when black people go to lease a space or to purchase a space, it is fully legal for some or another person of color that's not white. It is fully legal for people to discriminate to lease or to sell to you based on what you look like. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so this issue of. You know, it's one thing to talk about creating a business, but it's another thing to talk about creating a business in an environment where you have to contend with institutions yes. that have long histories of, of discriminatory practice. Yes, so well said, but we can do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's ways, definitely, and I hope definitely. we get to those today. <laughs> yeah, definitely, Kimberly. Um, so, so as you definitely know, as a business owner, we live in a society, you know, that encourages everybody to open a business. Everybody should be entrepreneurial in their orientation, but we don't hear quite as much about those who specialize in developing businesses as uh-huh. you do. So can you talk a bit about what that specific area of work uh, involves? Yeah, well, the first thing it involves, which is the thing that most people, it either makes or breaks them in the first three weeks. Okay, so mm-hmm. everyone listen up. If It's so, hard work. It's, it's not just hard work. It's if people do not want to dig into the financials, cash flow projections, startup costs, where they're going to access capital and market share, you will not make it past earning enough revenue to cover your personal overhead. And really business can be that. But as you know, when I, w- when I worked for another nonprofit organization here, I was heavily involved in the study that was done called the leakage study. Um, it was a big driver of my work. And in that study, it was very transparent that in just in our Asheville metropolitan statistical area, um, for every business that is white-owned, African-American businesses, uh, basically white-owned, earn 400000 African-Americans earn 40000 in revenue a year. That's a huge disparity mm-hmm. that they're solopreneurs in African-American businesses, whether they've been around for 20 years or for two years, versus white-owned businesses, many of them have a minimum of seven employees. And so the business development piece, what's critical for anyone but mostly us is understanding those numbers if you can objectively get in with someone like myself or other business developers sit down and look at the market share is there enough market share a lot of people want to start a business that just serves our area Mm -hmm. i'll tell you i made it in my first business and in my third business not in my second that's a whole different story it failed but in my first and third because i looked at the entire market and not just the Asheville market you got to think more yeah right and that and when you talk about longevity in a business if you start hyper local and you stay hyper local the market share fluctuates so much over a given period of time that you may not be able to sustain yourself 
past three to five years. Mm-hmm. So, Kimberly, I, I'm curious to know. It's clearly, you work with historically marginalized communities. Yes. Here. Um, the African-American community, Latinx community, mm-hmm. I, and I'm sure I don't know if you've had any chance to do any work with uh, with the Cherokee, you know, with yes. those communities as well. How do you measure success with that? Um, mm-hmm. A fair question. And you know, how do you feel about the work that you've been able to do here uh, in in this I area? I feel great. And one of the reasons is because um, – I once people can get past the startup phase and the startup. So when we talk about the business life cycle and business development, these are big words. But basically what we're saying in very small ways is once you get past startup, which means testing your idea to see if it's going to be profitable and not just meet your own financial goals and the goals of the business, but be able to do more than that. Um, you have a really great opportunity to continue forward and with a caveat. <laughs> a lot of people don't understand, and this, so this is some of my successes, is the people have made it really well, especially um, those in marginalized communities. They've understood that innovation is a part of the business process, that there's five cycles in a life cycle. When you need to begin a new product in your business that starts to take off again is really in the growth phase of your existing market. Mm. If you wait till you start to decline in market share or that your product or service phases out Mm. before you innovate again and iterate something else that the market needs you actually while also acquiring acquiring and creating acquisition of assets so in a growth phase of your business not only do you want to acquire some kind of asset that you can perform with later but innovate in that section in that season you can make it through a slow season a decline extinction of whatever it was you were developing while you're also building the next yes and that is also the other area where people get hung up and so the, the best businesses that have thrived here have understood that working with other people to build and retain your business, it's like a baton. Like my, mm. you know, my family, they love track and field mm. and so they love, big, right? Big yeah, <laughs> they fan. love that relay boy. That baton is so yeah. symbolic, right? Yeah. Because there's a leg, not just within yeah. every se- section and cycle of the business, but when you can pass off the next leg to the other person in your community or in your business that is better in that area, some people are really great in getting a business off the ground. And for a lot of folks, they feel like they have to start the business by themselves. But where um, business development can be stronger and more sustainable in our communities is when we do it together. Because no one person can run that whole relay Mm, by themselves and still win. I, you know, I'm telling Kimberly, so you're essentially talking about community, having a community yeah. uh, mindset as, yes. as we're approaching this. I mean, yeah. you, you've got my mind kind of spinning here because I'm thinking about some of the virtues that we need. I'm hearing that one of the things that people need here is patience. Right? Yes. You've got to be patient. And I and I wonder, I'll let Marcus jump back in here, but also having a, a an innovative spirit. You can't mm-hmm. just rest on what, no. what it is that you've achieved. You've got to always be thinking thinking about yeah. uh, the next thing. And Kimberly, you, we can come back to this uh, because Marcus, I want Marcus to jump back in here, but I'm wondering how well, because we're educators, 
And I wonder how well we're doing in the area of education to actually mm-hmm. really cultivate some mm-hmm. of these virtues, patience and innovation, yeah. especially I'm thinking in terms of our own community within the African-American community itself. Yeah. And, and related to that, <clears throat> I'm, you know, kind of uh, thinking about some of, some of the macro points that you just made, Kimberly, um, and honing in now sort of on the micro uh, could you talk a little bit then thinking about Darren's uh, point about our own institutions and how how well or not so well they're doing in educating um, our folks about what it means to create and sustain a business? Uh, can you speak to the, spe- to the to the specific or some of the specific or unique challenges that um, that face people in our community yes. who are who are wanting to, you know, create a sustainable business, create wealth, transmit that wealth as you um, mentioned earlier, across at least three generations. Mm. What are some of those challenges, and how might we begin to think about meeting them? Yes, well, one of them is Big really question, I know. <laughs> waiting for capital to happen, because we may um, not be in a position to access capital, and the way, I'll be honest, I was up close and personal with how um, some underwriting happens in business, business loans, and it's really not still written for African Americans, and so you have to be in a really strong, you know, 780, uh, Uh, with assets, all kinds of things happening for you to get a really great business loan. So the other place is um, crowdfunding for equity. You can crowdfund for equity. So thinking outside the box, right? So if we wait for somebody to give us money or all the conditions to be right to get a loan, I started my business and I tell people this all the time, and people who do this make it work. I'm working with people now that Pull, literally pull whatever extra money they have together. Somebody has $20, somebody has $100, somebody has $40. They get a lawyer to write mm-hmm. up all the who's put what money in and how that gets rolled in. And they start a business with what they have. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you enough, I started my first business with $50. Literally, that's all I had. I started my second business with $400, third business actually with $400. That's all I had. The less money you give to the beginning of a project, you'd be surprised Mm. how much you can grow and even debt-free. Okay. Wow. 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 (laughs) I mean, it's something to think about. You know, on this whole issue of education, Kimberly, I want to come back to that for a second. Um, How early... How are education institutions doing with with teaching some of these components that are clearly necessary to be able to, I, I, you know, and I'm 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 a proponent of beginning to think about these things early, mm-hmm. right? I, um, you know, I, in my own personal life, I invested a lot in building educational capital, intellectual capital. Yes, and I have recently begun to think about not so much how that impacts may impact the trajectory of my two sons life uh they were able to watch it and watch me go through this process and they know that uh that along with their mother we value high we value education education in general but i'm thinking about what this will mean for my grandchildren who i may never see and i've told them i don't want grandkids anytime soon (laughs) but um but i am thinking in terms of that what what this may mean so i'm wondering how well do we do with hmm. teaching that, does that make sense? Because I think it, it, it does. And let me tell you, it's it's some it's we're not doing well, and a couple of reasons. So one, I grew up not just 
being black, but around a lot of different cultures, first generation Americans. There were Lebanese, Afghani, from Mexico, you name it, all over the. My dad grew up in Germany as a black man. And here's the thing that was different for, for us, what we understood, is it is natural for many communities of color to, from six, seven years old, to start a business. And then by the time they're in high school or college, they already have figured out what their flow is and how they make money. And then that all comes together in the work working world or in what they choose in higher education field. Mm, I'm thinking about to eliminate Stan on the, yes. on the corner, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Or, yes. or, 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 or even the car wash That's later true. on. That's yes. true. That's true. That's yeah, true. Yeah, wow. yeah. So for Kimberly, as, as, we, as we think about wrapping up here, for those in the community who may be thinking about starting a business um, and they just have questions, they want some guidance. Um, so in, so in addition to yourself, uh, who, where would people look to find um, within the community? Where might they look to find persons who could offer them this guidance? Well, there's quite a few people in our community, individuals like, um, you know, Gene Edison has his own thing going on right now yeah. with real estate. He's a, I'm a real estate agent. He is too. And he's got whole investment thing going on there with people being able to do that. Um, you can go to some of the organizations that are, I really don't want to name them okay. because, um, you know, People can get a lot of information online. Let me tell you something. Instagram is where it's at. If you want to follow people who look like you, who are really making the money and throwing it down and freely telling you how they did it, you go on Instagram and you follow uh, Black Economics at, you know, hashtag you you start Googling what black wealth, you know, brown wealth, whatever it is. I follow probably about 18 different people and you'd be surprised. And I'd be glad to share that with your um, I can do give you those links if okay. you'd like and share them on your page. Mm-hmm. Um that's where you start. There's a lot of good free information out there. There's some in the community, but I want to tell you that you got to think that the market is bigger than Asheville. Mm. And that is a big thing. Asheville is here. We're doing it. But in order to grow our wealth collectively, our market is bigger than the place we live. Right. And, and, and I think, it's a, again, as an educator, that's that's about gaining understanding of those other areas, you know, yes. thinking outside outside of boxes. Kimberly, this is such a rich discussion. Obviously, we have got to have you back. I, I would One that. last question, you know, for you that I have, are you optimistic about the prospects for people in marginalized communities and business development moving forward. Oh, yes, mm. absolutely. We are doing it out there. Okay. We are making it happen. And there's a lot of, I, I predict in three years, you're going to see so many p- businesses that have popped up that own their real estate that they're operating in. Mm. It's coming. It's already happening. We're just being quiet about yes, it. People have got to create their own opportunities. And, yeah. I, you know, and I, you know, I, I think the stability of our democracy depends upon this, Absolutely. I think, in our community. So I, I, Marcus and I both think that these are very important conversations for us to have, and we need to continue it, and, and we will. Marcus and I thank you again for coming in and just sharing this yeah. you know, Thanks very so much, rich Kimberly. conversation yeah. with us. And so we will be back in just a moment. This has been the Waters and Harvest Show. Marcus, this has been a, a very, very 
deep and rich conversation. Yeah, very and sometimes I, you know, I know I'm a humanist and I work in the field of the humanities, so I'm not always thinking in terms of business and yeah, economics. Nor am I. And then I come into these conversations that we have with people from from our community are uh, not only here but outside of this community who who focus on that area, and I think I'm always left amazed at how deep those conversations are. Yeah, yeah, and right. and and I think one of, one of the major things that Kimberly's remarks and insights. Um, remind me of and help me to, to to remain cognizant of is that there is a thriving black entrepreneurial community out there. Right. Um, it's just a matter of tapping into it and learning from it. And, right. and I think that is, um, I'm, I'm naturally a pessimist, <laughs> but that I think infuses me with a sense of op- optimism, especially around black economics and, and economics of, you know, involving other marginal communities right. as well. And I'm interested, Marcus, in exploring how we can create our own institutions to help support Absolutely. this economic development within marginal, historically marginalized communities. Well, again, Marcus and I want to thank you all for joining us. We want to thank Kimberly for being here with us to have this deep, deep, deep discussion. And we want to remind you that the Waters and Harvest Show is produced at Blue Ridge Public Radio in Asheville, North Carolina. And you can listen to our podcast on BPR.org on the BPR mobile app and on Google Play. Follow us and get in touch on Facebook and Twitter. And Marcus and I will see you all and talk to you next time. Take care.